Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. Today is a surprise episode. We are being hosted again by Christcord, discord.gg forward slash Christian, discord.gg forward slash Christian. If you want to join a Christian Discord server and one of the best ones out there, uh, I know because I've harassed people on many other servers. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a couple of topics. One topic in particular that we're going to get into later on uh, with, a, with an Anglican friend here. We're going to get into a topic of well, it's GAFCON. It's, there's some stuff going on in, the, in Anglicanism right now, and if you're not in the group, uh, it might be something interesting for you to be aware of. But that's going to happen later on in the show. Before that, in the show, we're going to be talking about um, something that came up as a result of a couple of blog posts made by an LCMS pastor, uh, specifically called The LCMS Has a Nazi Problem. Now, there's a play on words. He spelled Nazi as N-O-T space S-E-E, as in you cannot see, you can't perceive with your eyes. So, let's get into it. This pastor, Pastor Larry Bean, he is an LCMS pastor, and um, every once in a while he'll write something online, he'll post something on Facebook or whatever, and it'll, it'll cause some controversy, uh, not necessarily because it's bad, but because a lot of times these topics are not talked about, are not talked about at least as clearly and directly as perhaps they should be. Uh, he writes for Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Um, good luck figuring out how to spell that. It's German, but if you Google it, you will find it. They also have a YouTube channel, podcast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, anyways, so he wrote this. He wrote this. Uh, he wrote this article, and I was reading the article. I read some of the, the articles that these guys produce. This article was was interesting. It definitely jumped out to me as um, as something that I think needs to be needs to be discussed. Um, and since I'm being hosted by Discord, I'm gonna or by Christcord, I'm gonna post a link to the article in in the chat so others can read along with the article if they want to. So it's called "The LCMS Has a Not C Problem," and I'm gonna interrupt the article kind of with my thoughts as I, as I go through it. Um, I'll leave a link to the article in the podcast description. Uh, Pastor Bean starts off with this. He says the left has a hackneyed but apparently still effective strategy to bully conservatives and traditionalists. Name calling. It doesn't matter if the accusations are true, of course, nearly all the time they aren't. But some names are so egregious that even the accusation, even the whiff of an accusation, even if there's a lick of truth to it, can threaten one's ability to make a living or live at peace in polite or impolite society. Some accusations by the left are designed to intimidate and even threaten or to actually result in physical harm. The extreme left exploits this reality of our fallen world and flesh by luridly and shamelessly referring to those on the right of center socially, politically, economically, or theologically by a rather predictable set of epithets, including alt-right, fascist, and the tried-and-true Nazi. Indeed, according to the result of Godwin's law, the left believes that mentioning Hitler quote-unquote wins any argument. It certainly tends to call the to call the question on any real debate or discussion. And anybody who's engaged with anybody online at any point and had any sort of opinion has been called a Nazi. Anybody who's used the internet has been called a Nazi. That's just kind of par for the course. But anyway, so the, so the idea is that you shut down a debate by calling somebody a Nazi. And this is one of the... We've decided as a society collectively that this is the this is the quintessential bad guy. Hitler is a, is a quintessential bad guy. So you'll see a lot of times in political discourse or whatever, uh, people comparing each other to Hitler and you know comparing groups of people to to Nazis. This is the the, the shortcut to ending an argument. It's you are so bad that you're basically like you know dot 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 evil organization. Therefore, anything you say can't be trusted. Now, the article continues. Uh, Pastor Bean writes this. He said, sadly, some conservatives seem to be falling for this tactic. So somebody calls you a Nazi, and then you spend the next 
you know, the next couple of hours arguing, no, I'm not a Nazi, because technically the Nazis, yada, yada, yada. Well, you've already fallen into the trap if you're defending yourself. If you ever get the chance, go on YouTube and look at my, my video. It's called um, How to Win Any Religious Debate, uh, and, and you can apply that to political debate as well. Don't defend yourself. Never defend yourself if you get into an argument with an idiot, because they're just going to call you names, and you're going to spend the entire time uh, trying to prove that you're not. It is futile. Uh, don't engage with that. So the article continues. It says, it is important to understand that no matter how much this association is demonstrably untrue, no matter how hard we protest, no matter what resolutions we pass, no matter how welcoming our churches are to everyone, no matter what our history is as a synod in evangelizing all ethnic groups, no matter how, how many events, associations we have dedicated to minorities, no matter how many people we excommunicate for holding certain racial views or attributing Christianity to Hitler, I'll get on that in a second, we are and will be tagged with the usual label litany of the left. Misogynists, homophobes, transphobes, white supremacists, white nationalists, Christian nationalists, etc., along with the political and economic accusations of being far-right extremists, haters, alt-rights, fascists, and, of course, Nazis. We are not dealing with people who are concerned with truth. We are dealing with a ruthless philosophy in which the ends justify the means. Um, so then, then Pastor Bean here uses a, a term that, he says they are they are pogues, P-O-G-S, and uh, for a military person like me, pogue is a, is a term that means something else. But he says pogues, people of the guillotine and, and gulag. Don't think you can play the reality card with people who believe that men can give birth. Ontology is so 2014. If you believe, teach, confess what the Bible teaches, you'll be subject to these labels. It doesn't matter how many black parishioners you have, how many of your friends are Jews and Muslims, how much you state you believe that women and men are equal in dignity before the Lord, or that you love people with such burdens, quote-unquote, or as theologians call, uh, of the cross call it, sin, as same-sex attraction, uh, gender dysphoria, or pedophilia, and want them to have eternal life, unless you repent of your biblical confessions and come around to the, quote-unquote, one true faith as preached by the political leftists uh, and their allies in society, government, mainstream churches, and media, you will be still accused of goose-stepping your way to the communion rail and secret, secretly replacing the words of glorious things of thee are spoken with certain other anthem. The quote-unquote one true faith is the, is, of the world is that our churches should ordain women, support infanticide as women's health, marry and recognize same-sex couple, embrace gender ideology, uphold critical race theory, including repenting of original sin of whiteness. We must also renounce free markets and embrace Marxist uh, economic planning and redistributionism. And to achieve all this, we must love the state and its endeavor to achieve utopia by force. In short, we must convert from where we are to where the world wants us to be woke and socialist. Because right now, we are rebels, traitors, and insurrectionists who deserve to have our schools invaded uh, by armed transgenders. Oh, man, this, this podcast is going to get me shut down. Just I am quoting an article by Pastor Larry Bean of Godestinst. Um it does not matter that the attacks are factually untrue. Our Lord said such things would happen. Indeed, our fathers and mothers of the faith were based in their hatred against mankind, Tacitus, or as the pop philosopher saith, the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. Um, all right, so this is all This is all kind of a preamble. This is leading into, into the argument. So basically, the premise of what Pastor Bean is saying is um, that no matter what you're going to do, no matter what you say, no matter how much you love other people, you'll still be will still be treated as somebody who hates and somebody who is as bad as Hitler. Um, I mean, again, uh, I, I guess I've personally experienced this to a degree. I've gotten, I have had content removed. I've gotten removed from, from groups and organizations, not by saying necessarily anything hateful, but by saying 
this certain thing is a sin, and my desire is that the person is forgiven for that sin and goes on to live eternally. Um, but even that disagreement is often seen as, as evil in and of itself, evil incarnate. All right, so the premise is you can't win. If you play the game, you're going to lose. You cannot win no matter what. And the accusation, or rather the, um, the assessment of the LCMS, is that the LCMS, like other church organizations, is, is engaging in this game, is playing this game that there's no way, to, there's no way possible to win. All right, so the article continues. Um, again, I'll be as fast as possible to get through this. And Lutherans in particular will at some point be called to pinch incense to wokeism by tearing down our statues of Martin Luther, you read it here first, uh, and revisit the name of our ecclesiastical, confessional, and church bodies on account of the accusation that Luther was pre-Nazi. There was a straight line from Luther to Hitler, and according to the social methodology of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, we know 21st century Lutherans are all the equivalent of concentration camp guards. It's right there in black and white. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, going back to World War II, uh, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of the the propaganda, the German propaganda, was based on um, on trying to connect it to Lutheran teachings. Not true, but that's definitely something that that was attempted politically. All right. Two recent articles in left wing media have frightened many of our people into the fear that some something that simply doesn't exist and a Nazi or an LCMS Nazi problem. First, there was a series of blog posts by an avowed Antifa member who describes the LCMS as holding a quote staunch conservative theology, forbidding women in leadership, maintaining virulent opposition to LGBTQIA plus folks, and adhering to loud anti-choice stance on abortion. Second, there was a Rolling Stone piece in which our synod is being referred to as being in the midst of a pitched battle to avoid becoming a quote bastion for fascism because our synod quote takes an Activist role against reproductive rights condemns gay marriage and does not allow women pastors. They call our views, quote-unquote, traditional and square scare quotes and our values that make us vulnerable to infestation by fascists. And, of course, the narrative is that if we are in the midst of a takeover attempt uh, by to hear them tell the tale, thousands of literal stormtroopers yawn. Um, all right. So, all right. Well, let me see if I need to keep going. In reality, the reality is that the size shows a uh, tempest in a teapot that has been seized upon those who hate us. The reality is we don't have a Nazi problem. We have an actual and large, quote-unquote, Nazi problem. Uh, and this is, this is the meat of the article. All of that introduction kind of leads into the meat of the article. Now, what Pastor, Pastor Bean goes on, goes on to explain, and I don't think I really have to get into the rest of the article. You can read the rest yourself. But what he gets into kind of explaining is is that the LCMS has, and, and perhaps rightly so, uh, looked at examples of, of people espousing what is sometimes classified as kind of far-right uh, national fascism, national socialism, um, uh, racial essentialism. Uh, and and this, is, this is something that I've encountered some of these people, not, not necessarily within the LCMS, but people who, who consider themselves Lutheran online who will say things like interracial marriage is a sin, or they will say... Um, uh, they'll argue that it's 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 contrary to what God commands in the Bible, um, that the people who grow up as children of interracial couples will not have an identity and not know who they are or what their allegiances are, um, things like that. Um, it's it, it's not rampant. In fact, it's so bizarre. It, it's so limited that when it comes up, it's actually it, it stands out. It's it's bizarre. It's so few and far between that you have these examples that when they do stand out, it's, 
I don't know. It makes them shine all the brighter, uh, you know, more perceptively. You can see these examples you're like, wow, there's a, here's this crazy Lutheran who believes in like these really weird, obscure, and evil things. I wonder if it's rampant within the, you know, within the organization. And the fact of the matter, from what I've seen, is 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 no, it's not. And anytime one of these people pops up, even if you have a few people who support them, uh, more likely than not, you just see them get overwhelmed by people who are saying, no, that's that's obviously idiotic. That's not Christian. Uh, that's not Lutheran. Get out of here. This is nonsense. And they denounce them rightly, as, as they should. In the article, uh, Pastor Bean goes on to to mention a, uh, a Lutheran who recently came under, I don't want to say came under fire, because that makes it seem like he didn't deserve it, but who came... Uh, who came under the he came under the, the the microscope a bit more, um, and he was posting stuff on Twitter, which one should never do. Um, but he was posting stuff on Twitter about, um, I mean, it, it was weird stuff. It was it was like weird connections between Christianity and like ancient white Norse paganism, and and like it's a continuation of God's revelation. And, 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 you know, um, you've got the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and then, you know, Jesus comes to the Jews and then the Gentiles and, uh, and, and then to like Europe, <laughs> it gets, it gets weird. It's really hard to explain. Uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, it, it's extremely bizarre. But anyway, so this guy was, I mean, he was, he was sharing a bunch of this stuff publicly. And from what I understand of the issue, uh, his congregation was like, you, you need to knock us off. This is not Lutheran. This is not Christian. And he refused to. In fact, he doubled down on it. So in, in response, I believe the congregation uh, implemented church discipline against him, which, which is appropriate. I mean, what he was saying was, was sinful. It was evil. It, it, was a, it was a public display of sin. And this is exactly you know, half of what the Office of the Keys is about. Half of it is about forgiving sins, and the other half is about, um, you know, is about the condemnation of sins. And in this case, this guy was com- continuing an unrepentant sin, so he gets kicked out of he gets kicked out of the congregation. Um, with again, the the idea of excommunication is that you're you're outside of the congregation, but the desire is that you repent and you were brought back in and you were restored to faith and you are your sins are forgiven. Um, and he, I mean, obviously this this kind of poured gasoline on the fire. He became even more vocal about his, his ideas and stuff like that. This got so, so much attention that the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, he, he put out statements. Uh, he put out public statements, made a stance, basically, basically condemning um, this nonsense that this guy was, you know, that this guy was claiming that the sin that this guy was doing. He said, this is nonsense. This has no place in Christianity. Um, this is no place in, you know, uh, in in the churches, it was entirely appropriate to bring this guy under church discipline. So this huge controversy, all revolving around a uh, a singular member who was teaching or claiming some really, really rotten stuff. Um, again, this was exactly the thing that that many people were looking for to point to an example of uh, of you know this is Nazism within within this German this German Protestant group. Now I've got. I see in the in the chat right now. I've got at least one Roman Catholic, and this Roman Catholic probably tears out any hair that he has left every time somebody says, "Hey, look, here's an example of abuse within the Roman Catholic Church," uh, and the idea being not that abuse, uh, 
that physical abuse, for example, is necessarily prevalent within the Roman Catholic Church. But any time that it does happen, it confirms everybody's uh, conception about, look, this is, you know, this organization is just built up of, um, <clears throat> of people preying on, on the helpless uh, and, and the hopeless. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is kind of a similar thing. If, if the... Um, if the accusation against the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the member, the the members of the priesthood and organization, is that they're constantly abusing people, uh, one of the accusations against guess what a, a German Christian church is going to be oh you guys are secretly connected to Hitler or less secretly connected to Hitler. Uh, so when this example came out of this guy, uh, you know he gives the organization a bad name, even though he was dealt with appropriately. Uh, he was, you know, he was excommunicated. He was punished for his non-Christian sinful uh, things that he that he said and he did. But it was just confirmation bias. Now, what uh, what Pastor Bean does in this article is that he he points that this is that this is not a pattern. What this guy what this guy did and he was punished for is not actually a pattern. Uh, and and those who hate you know the Christian Church will point to it and say, aha. Aha! This is confirmation of a pattern because here's one, one point of data. Um, it, Pastor Bean actually says that there's that there's a fixation that that we need to be uh, aware of here. Now it's appropriate to respond to this type of sin with with condemnation, but the problem is at, at the same time that the organization, the, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, at the same time that they respond to this particular flavor of sin that there are other types of sin that are, uh, it's, it seems, overlooked, that, that, that people pretend not to see them, and they pretend that it's not going on. Now, some examples that he brings up are, um, are pastors or members of organizations who, who support um, women's ordination, who say that, that we should have women's ordination in the LCMS. Even those who say that they joined the LCMS uh, specifically to change the LCMS's view um, on on this topic, um, this is I mean this is contrary to to obviously this is contrary to what the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod believes. Yet these people are not I mean they hold these views publicly and yet they are not they are not punished. They are not you know removed from office. Uh, they are not put on sabbatical. They are not confronted publicly in the same way that you know this other flavor of sin was was confronted. Um, there are different churches around the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod where they use grape juice. Now, some people, you know, of the, of the tens of people who listen to this podcast may, may have just cringed a little bit because their church uses grape juice. Well, you're not supposed to. I mean, we, we can get into, you know, specifically what the Bible says and, uh, and, and talk about the issue more, um, but as, as congregations of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, you are required, your pastor is required not to use grape juice, but to use actual wine. Your pastor is required also to practice something called closed communion, which means that the pastor has to make a call, has to examine those who receive communion, rather than just kind of invite anybody who wants to come to the rail, uh, regardless of their denomination, regardless of who they are. They just kind of walked in. They don't know what they're getting. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about how that's so dangerous to just let people uh, take the medicine of immortality possibly to their own detriment. Um, and yet people just tend to overlook this and yeah it's 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 more work to confront somebody who comes who comes uh you know a, a visitor uh, and i can say this from personal experience as well as as a pastor 
Um, if I'm getting ready for getting ready for the service, I've got two minutes, you know, two minutes on the countdown clock. The prelude is already playing. I'm going around greeting people, maybe greeting guests. And a person comes in and says, and says hey, uh, you know, I'm visiting. I'm a Baptist. I'd like to take communion. I mean, usually they won't tell me they, they, they'd like to take communion. But this is something that, that for me, the easiest thing to do would just be like, okay, I'll pretend like I didn't hear that they were Baptist. I'm not saying I do this. I'm saying that that would be so much easier to, to either, one, not talk to visitors, or two, not hear or see, you know, what they claim about themselves and just say, uh, God will deal with it, you know? Um, but my job, my obligation is is to see, is is to say, well, you know, well, you are welcome to the church. Uh, we are glad to have you today. Um, please, you know, I've got the communion policy in, in the bulletin. Again, it would be easy to just be like, eh, they'll read it. Um, but I, you know, I, I have to do the complicated, difficult task of saying, hey, well, you know, we, we welcome you as a, as a brother or sister in Christ. Um, I just wanted to talk to you real quick about the communion policy. Again, I've got two minutes and maybe more visitors that I have to give this speech to. Uh, and I have to basically tell them, you know, we, are, we would love to have you at the altar to receive a blessing. But, but hey, the fastest way I can do it is usually saying, but rather than, you know, coming up and receiving communion, that would be like me handing you a contract and having you sign it without giving you the opportunity to, to read it. Uh, what we believe about communion is if you have communion with us, you are in agreement with us about our doctrine. Well, you haven't had a chance to sit down and study our doctrine. That would not be fair to you. So out of love, uh, we would like to give you a blessing today. But we ask that, that you know, you please uh, refrain from communion until we've had some some time to, to talk about it more. And then I can talk about it more, and then I can find out, you know, they were baptized, LCMS, they want to do catechism class, they want, you know, all this other stuff after that. But it's easy to not see a problem, uh, to, to let it pass you by. Now, that's that's with communion. Uh, and again, in the article, Pastor Bean talks about women's ordination as well. He talks about those who, who hold um, kind of extreme political views. So, uh, uh, abortion. Um, abortion is is condemned officially. I mean, this should come as a shock to no one, but it will come as a shock to some people that abortion is officially condemned as murder by the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, period. It is. There is no exception for rape and incense. Incense. Rape and incest. It is condemned as murder. It is murder to end the life of an unborn child intentionally. Um, and for not just many lay people, but for many pastors... This is something where they'll, you know, they'll turn the other way and just say, uh, I don't really want to pick a fight with, you know, Grandma Schmeckenpepper. She was raised in a different age, and she believes what she believes about abortion, and I would really just not want to fight about it. You know, she's going to die soon anyway. <laughs> it's kind of a horrible way to think about it. But, I mean, that, and that's not loving. Uh, it's not loving to, to overlook a problem as significant as that. But this is this is kind of par for the course. If you if if Grandma Schmeckenpepper was wearing a, a Nazi uniform and goose stepped her way into the church, you'd be like, oh, hey, um, hey, you know, uh, you know, uh, Gertrude, uh, Gertrude Schmeckenpepper, um, can we talk about the swastikas you're you're wearing? That's, you know, you would probably confront that. But for whatever reason, the other end, I don't want to say the other end of the spectrum, the other flavor of sin. You would just say, well, it's better not to argue about this. It's a politically hot topic. Um, same thing, somebody comes in, they, you know, um, uh, with, with a same-sex married couple. Or, or here's a good one. Uh, you've got a boyfriend and girlfriend situation in the congregation. And they're both Lutherans. And who knows, maybe they're both pastor's kids. And they both happen to meet each other at the nearby uh, university. And they're both kind of, you know, 
you know that they're living together. You know that they're living in sin together. They're cohabiting. They're, they're engaging in premarital affairs. But uh, you choose not to address the issue because as a society, we've decided that this, this isn't a sin. So it's easier to just kind of not see this issue. Whereas, again, if, if boyfriend and girl, girlfriend, uh, you know, uh, Heidi and uh, Gretel, or no, uh, let me say Hansel and Gretel, who stepped their way in, uh, hosing this time, but with, you know, swastikas on it, uh, you would confront that. Like, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a double standard where certain flavors of sin we feel obligated by society to confront. But because society has said, no, we can't talk about that, um, we, we tend to avoid confronting other types of sin. And I would venture a guess, and those in chat, you can, you, can, you can disagree or agree with me if you'd like. I would venture a guess that this is not a uniquely Lutheran problem, that is not unique to Lutheranism, where it's just easier to ignore certain types of sin um, that, are, that are, I guess, accepted by society, that are pushed by... I don't know, left, left-wing left groups, certain political, ideologically aligned groups. Pastor Bean talks about some of the examples of, of pastors who are engaged in political organizations. Now, how is it, he, he points out, how is it that we, if we had a pastor who was part of the National Socialist Party, the Nazi Party, we would say, nope, no, you're done. Or, you know, we've got a sin problem here. But if they're engaged in the American Socialist Party, Oh, well, you know, it is what it is. Sure, come on, receive communion. You know, it's not, I mean, there are some ideologies that are are inherently sinful. And the question has to be asked. I'm not going to give you the answer to this, even though I have the answer to all things. The question has to be asked. If the the, the National Socialist Party is sinful, why? And is is the American Socialist Party sinful? in the same way or a similar way. You, you need to ask that question and be consistent. What about an organization like Black Lives Matter? Now, you can get into an argument about what the phrase means and all lives matter and all stuff, but whatever. I mean the organization, the official organization um, that is, is Marxist in origin and officially had, uh, I don't know if they still do on their website, points that talk about destroying the nuclear family, intentionally destroying the nuclear family. Is this an organization that Christians, that Lutherans, that Christians in general should say, I am a proud card-carrying member of Black Lives Matter, the organization? Is, is this something that they should be a part of, or is this similar to other flavors of sin where, you know, if you're a member of this organization, by, by association, you know, this is, this is sin. I, I think that this is something that needs to be addressed. So somebody posted a response, a response, and and uh, it's basically that that <laughs> that the guy that was condemned by by President Harrison was actually saying as sinful stuff as as people accuse him of saying. Um, he was he was legitimately he, he was legitimately uh, disciplined. That it was that it was appropriate. <laughs> it's actually it's I think it's a pretty funny uh, pretty funny re- response. Um, but basically, the guy's saying. Or the, the 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 result of it is this is not this is not necessarily a st- systemic thing within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, this is this is an aberrant thing. This guy is is one among many, and I guess that kind of goes goes to the same point that um, there. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a st- systemic problem with people believing 
leftist sinful ideologies. I, I think just in general, people pick on to sinful things that they believe in and they, they do. And it comes in all kinds of different flavors. But I think it's easier to, to go along with society um, and sin by going along with society than, you know, than sin by going against society. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's what I've got. I, that's what I got to say about that. I'll, I'll put a link to both the articles uh, from God of Saints in, in the podcast um, description. And at this time, I'm actually joined by uh, joined by a friend in Christ Court. He is an Anglican, uh, and he would like to express a little bit of, of what's going on in the Anglican Church. So we're shifting gears. Uh, we're shifting gears quite a quite a bit, quite jarringly. So here is a uh, Delta Helix. Take it away. Recently, what's been going on in the Anglican Communion? It's been in the news a little bit, but if you're not paying too close attention, it probably went under the radar. Um, just yesterday, the Hold on, I'm going to butcher this name. GAFCON Kaigali Rwanda Conference um, has just begun. It brings over 1,300 delegates from uh, over 53 countries together in order to uh, worship God and then also come together and pray for the future of the Anglican Communion. Kind of serves similar uh, a similar role as like a synod, but basically the purpose of it is to determine the future of the Anglican Communion. What has recently happened, which has caused some controversy, and that happened just before this conference, is that the Church of England has is has been looking into, and I think they passed, the uh, ability to bless same-sex marriages, and um, that has caused controversy within the Anglican Communion. The Global South Fellowship of Confessing uh, Anglicans, shortly after that occurred, they put out a document stating that the Church of England has to um, step back from that position or they will lose their role as the being recognized as the primacy in the Anglican Communion by the Global South Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans. And they so they represent 75 percent, a little bit over 75 percent of Anglicans and then after they put out this document, several other um, churches in the communion and also ones from the parallel structure that are in communion with the ACNA also put out similar statements. And um, so now they are meeting at this GAFCON conference where they're trying to figure out what to do and kind of discuss the future of the Anglican communion. So have they reached any any resolutions yet? Are they making any progress Um how exactly is that work? So the opening press release, it says the moving forward together and uh, decisively means saying no to the Church of England as the head of the Anglican Communion, and it means saying yes to the gifts of Christ in one another share, and sharing resources in the spirit of humility and brotherly love, and it also means yes to standing firm uh, no matter what temptations may come their way. It would appear that they are looking at voting on potentially a new first among equals uh, because it says that they no longer recognize the present Archbishop Canterbury as the first among equals for the global Anglican communion. Uh, They are citing paragraph 13 of the Jerusalem Declaration from 2008, which was also, um, which uh, states that we reject the authority of those churches and leaders who have denied the Orthodox faith in word or deed. 
Um, they say that the Bible stands at the heart of the faith that all Anglican churches have inherited from the Church of England and that the Church of England has now decided to depart from the Bible's teaching uh, is troubling for many Anglicans. And so they are praying that as they meet together, um, they will be encouraged to continue to walk as disciples of Jesus Christ, no matter what challenges are set before them. Um, today, they just released a transcript of their first meeting, and they have put out they've put out um, four marks of modern Anglicanism, um, which they also call the four marks of continuing a spirit-filled movement, and this is supposed to set the tone for the proceedings that are to come later. The first one of these marks is repentance. Um, this the first mark of modern Anglicanism is that we must be a repenting church. The general idea is that it says, we are called to be a repenting church. In recent days, we have seen the Church of England led by Archbishop Canterbury and their bishops walk away from the plain teaching of Scripture. We call on them to repent, to return to the teaching of the Word of God. We call on them to stop blessing sin and return to the sanctity and holiness of marriage. Uh, it also says that we call on the Scottish Episcopal Church to repent. We call on the Church of Wales to repent. We call on the Episcopal Church in Brazil to repent. We call on the Anglican Church in New Zealand to repent. We call on the Church of Australia to repent. And we call on the Anglican Church of Canada to repent as well as the Episcopal Church uh, in America to repent and return to the teaching of Holy Scripture. And they say that, sadly, with broken hearts, uh, we must say that until the Archbishop of Canterbury repents, we can no longer recognize him as the first among equals and the spiritual leader of the Anglican Communion. It is time for the whole Anglican establishment to be reformed anyway. Why does a secular government of only one of the nations represented in the Anglican Communion still get to pick the spiritual leader of the Anglican Communion? This makes no sense in today's post-colonial world. Let us not only call on those out there to repent, some of the United States needs to repent of our sins, of our provincial sins, our church's sins, our personal sins, sexual sins that uh, are not only the sins in the Bible, some of us have practices in our provinces, in our ministries, and in our lives which are not of God, we need to repent. We Anglicans pray this prayer each time we confess the general confession that we are truly sorry and we humbly repent, or some version of this depending on the liturgy. As we confess our sins, we tell God that we are sorry and that we humbly repent, yet do we? Each of us must ask ourselves, is there something in my life which the Lord has shown me of which I must repent? If we are going to be the people of God that the Lord wants us to be, we must be a repenting church. If we want a true spiritual awakening, we must be a repenting church. And so that's the first point they put forward. Uh, the second is reconciling. They must be a reconciling church. Doesn't Jesus tell us that this is one of our biggest witnessing tools to unbelievers, our love for one another? And yet people uh, wound us, people get mad and say bad things. Family members hurt us, friends go back on their word. Godly people get out of the spirit and in the flesh do things or say things which offend us. This happens in congregations too. We are all human and too many times our sinfulness is brought into spiritual situations and we can make a big mess of things. I know I have, says uh, whoever was presenting this. The biggest problem we have in being reconciled with others is unforgiveness. 
Uh, our unwillingness to forgive, unforgiveness sets in, resentment begins to grow, bitterness creeps in, and before long, unforgiveness has so grieved the Holy Spirit in your life that there is no joy or peace, and it affects everything you do, brothers and sisters. This must not be. We are called to be a reconciling church. To be reconciled doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything. To be reconciled doesn't mean you necessarily even agree about the facts of what happened. To be reconciled means that you value the Lord and each other so much that you are willing to acknowledge your own part in the situation, repent, and are willing to forgive and move on. This is what we confess each week when we pass the peace each Sunday. What are we symbolizing? We are not just greeting our neighbor. I'm visibly saying that before I come to the table of the Lord, I am reconciled with my brother or sister to the best of my ability. We are called to be a reconciling church. If not, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You may not think it affects your life. You may not think it affects your relationship with others. You may not think it affects your ministry, but it does. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God and Christ forgave you. So the question must be asked, if, is there some or a bunch of someones with whom you need to be reconciled? God is calling us to be a reconciling church. Uh, the third thing is that uh, the church needs to come together. The fourth point is that they need to be a reproducing church, which is to say that being a disciple-making church. Do you know what most unbelievers out there think we feel towards them? They think we hate them. They think we despise them. They think we judge them. They think we don't care about them. Now, obviously, they don't know us very well because that is not true. But this is our problem, not theirs. God calls us to be relentlessly compassionate to the people of our world. Let me challenge you to pray a very dangerous prayer. Lord, open my eyes to see the hurt and pain in the people around me. Don't pray this unless you are ready to be compassionate. Don't pray this unless you are ready to care. People all around us are suffering immensely. People have wounded family relationships. People are living in sexual brokenness and uh, misery. People are financially burdened and overwhelmed. People are addicted to alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, and money. People are exhausted and can't get off the merry-go-round. And the black hole just gets deeper and deeper with no way out. People have medical conditions which sap all their strength and creativity. They are craving a little compassionate care. They are craving a better way. We have to answer for their needs. We have to answer for the drug addicts. We have to answer for the porn addict, the financially broken, the emotionally and physically abused. Those living, in finan uh, those living in a life of poverty, his name is Jesus. We are not and cannot be a church as we have known it. We must be a living body engaged with the people around us. We must be the temple of the Holy Spirit, exhibiting the fruit and gifts of the Spirit in all we do. And we eventually return back to our homes and ministries. Let us remember that God calls us to be repenting people, reconciling people, reproducing people, and a relentlessly compassionate people. And um, those are the points that they bring up as far as the four marks of modern Anglicanism. Now, it's interesting that this is kind of coming to a head um, now for the Anglican Church. I, I know that for the Methodist Church, this is definitely, um, this is definitely something that they've been dealing with for a while. And in fact, the, uh, the danger, the concern for the Methodist Church for a while is that, the, that there potentially could be a, a split, a, a political, almost a, a division along political lines 
um, mm-hmm. within the church, uh, in Methodism in particular, there was, um, it's, it's actually the African Methodists are, quote-unquote, holding back, holding back the progress of the, of the United Methodist Church as, as a whole, because many within uh, various flavors of Methodism want to move the church in a new direction, and many, uh, many who are not Americans, for example, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Africa. And this is, this is, from what I understand, also true for both the Presbyterian and, the, and some forms of the Baptist churches, um, mm-hmm. that there are people outside of the Western world who are saying, you know, well, the same thing that, that was said in the, in the, the, the Anglican uh, document that you, read, that you read. No, we need to not push forward and keep pace with society, um, but we need to be a church that relies back on, on the Bible, a church that relies on the principles that are taught in Scripture, loving and forgiving yes. and, and, and reconciliation with, with one another, but reconciliation most of all with God. Um, it's, I would say, a blessing for us for the time being for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that this specific sort of division doesn't at least appear to be, appear to be happening. Now, obviously, um, behind the scenes in, in, in any organization, you're going to have those who are, you know, they say, well, I, I'm a member of X organization, but I believe completely everything contrary to, to everything that they teach. Uh, and I think that's just kind of the nature of, the nature of having, having, a, ha- having a church that includes sinful people in the church. Um, by na- by uh, Paul basically says in, uh, is it 1 Corinthians, what, 10 or something? He, he, sa- he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it, for there must be divisions <laughs> in order that some of you may uh, may have the truth or may, basically may be right. Um, mm. The tragedy is that that division uh, is always going to be there as a result of sin. Sin sin broke the relationship between man and God. Sin breaks the relationship between one another. Sin even tries to break the relationship with, between us and, and our Savior. But I don't know. Um, I guess, I mean, this is going on currently. In the Anglican Church, this is an ongoing kind of. Is this a conference or a convention? Or yes, something? it's a uh, it's a conference um, going on in Rwanda. It's just started yesterday night. They had a worship service, and today they're. Um, this is the transcripts from the opening service from last night um, that I read from an excerpt from, and into today and the next few days, they're going to continue meeting and try and decide what. It, uh, what's going to happen. Um, they opened by saying elsewhere that they aren't really sure what's going to happen, but um, they, they're they kind of hoping for like a... Um, I think the term they used is like a, uh, a Pentecost-like event where um, the, it, this, this event, this sparks a change um, in the Anglican Communion for the better... And not only that, but that um, the gospel would um, spread much more. Because uh, as it is currently, the Anglican communion in the West is kind of um, shrinking recently. I saw that um, the like the number of young members in the, for example, the Church of England is quite low. Last time I checked, it's... Um, and I know that recently the Church of England dropped below half of the UK population um, recently. So they want to start um, evangelizing again. And now 
Uh, I think I also saw that they said um, they one of the one of the only ways they can though effectively evangelize is if they uh, repent. They they went as far as to say that um, the reason that the church is collapsing is because they have left um, the traditional teachings of um, the church. But I couldn't find that quote in the documents. But that's that's how far the um, they went. So it's it's quite the accusation, but I it know, is I kind of feel that that's right. Yeah. Well, it is also. I mean, this is over seventy five percent of the Anglican Communion speaking. So it's yeah. not like. <laughs> I mean, when the majority is calling on the the dude in the primacy to repent, then he should probably. <laughs> Probably do that. You should at least listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the ongoing struggle. It's in the Lutheran Church. We we talked about it. We talk about it sometimes as the church growth movement. And a lot of times, the idea that people get is to say, "Well, we want to grow the church, and the way to grow the church is to chase after culture." The problem with chasing after culture is you're always going to be one step behind. And you know, what does culture believe politically? You know, what kind of music are are the youths into these days? That sort of thing. And I firmly believe that. I mean, we should be able to learn from history that the truth of the Christian faith is timeless, that we don't need to adopt, adapt the Christian faith to, uh, to modernity in terms of, in terms of what, it, what is believed. Now, if you want to say, hey, you know, they come up with great new hymns, uh, we need to translate the Bible into this new language, and, you know, reach these people, that's, that, that's one thing. But a lot of times people, people see evangelism uh, as done by by compromise. We need to compromise on our beliefs in order to be more palatable to to the world. Well, the world hates Christianity because it hates Christ. It's you're 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 by definition, you know, Christ is a, a stumbling block. It's 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 going to be offensive to be uh, to have Christian beliefs. But I think we we need that confidence, that, that boldness to say, "You know what? This is an unpopular opinion, but Jesus died on the cross for your sins, which means that you have sins." that require God to die to pay for them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's, 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 I guess, so I'm going to try to wind up the podcast now. Um, if there's, if there's a takeaway, I would, I would say that it's really easy to kind of look at, I don't know, there, there, there's a couple of ways to fall off the horse on the left or the right. You could fall off by, by not seeing problems by saying, okay, well, there, there is no issue. Let's just pretend and it's all okay. And then maybe it'll sort itself out. Uh, um, and that's one way to, to make the problem worse by not addressing problems. But then the other way to fall off the horse is to kind of despair and say, look at these things that are happening within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Look, they've got, they've got Norse pagan Nazis, you know, claiming racial essentialism and saying that interracial marriage is a sin. Or look at these things happening within the Anglican Church. Can you believe that, they, that they're trying to, you know, claim that God is, uh, that God is a different gender and that, you know, and all these changes, and the way you the the error of that side is is that that's not representative of the, of the entirety of of Christendom. Uh, with the response in the in that LCMS problem I, I mentioned, the response was overwhelming, and these people are saying, "No, this is sinful. Uh, he needs to repent." Church discipline. Now, the response to the Anglican community, again, even though there are many in power who would say this is the official stance of the Anglican community, um, I forget who it was, Arch. Bishop or something like that. There was, there, there was some some Anglican dude 
mm-hmm. uh, was responding. Uh, I forget his name, and he was calling to repentance. Well-be. Or no? Yeah, it might have been Wellby. Was it the guy with the uh, the glasses and the afro? That one? No, no, with, that's uh, not preaching well-be. tabs. Okay, well, whatever the whatever the guy's whatever his name was, fantastic. Like, oh man, the fire in his in his call to repentance. And that's I think exactly that guy what... is a um, a deacon, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's a deacon. Yeah, he had he had a yeah. He was a, some some official, and and I was, I was listening to that, and his direct call to repentance. I was like, bam, yes, let's get you know more of that. I mean, hopefully the desire with the call to repentance, is actual repentance and then forgiveness of sins. But um, that mm-hmm. may be unpopular. But that's that's what needs to happen. There need you need to you know you need to have people in the organizations who are willing to stand firm uh, according to the word of God to say, look, thus saith the Lord. And then talk about what it says on uh, any particular. Yeah, that's him. Uh, Reverend Calvin Robinson. Calvin Robinson. Oh, yeah. Somebody just pinged me with it. That guy. Uh, yeah, look up Calvin Robinson uh, and and his statement on, well, you'll, you'll find it on YouTube. You won't not find it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Do you have any any closing thoughts, any last uh, elevator speech type type statements you'd like to make before we end? I'll read the conclusion from um, the GAFCON meeting from the last night which is this it is uh, my sincere hope and prayer that this week we shall grow in mutual love and understanding and become a renewed beacon of light shining brightly and urgently spreading to all the corners of the world with a revival fire whose fuel is the primacy of scriptures the power of the gospel and the priority of mission Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for all the listeners. Thank you for those who participated. Thank you for Christ Court for hosting today's episode. Thank you, Delta Helix, for standing by and, and, and sitting in second chair and giving us a good Anglican perspective of, of what's going on in the world. Uh, and thank you, most of all, to Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for our sins. Yes. God bless you all and take care. <laughs>